at the time of recording this, of course, we record several weeks in advance, but at the time of recording this, we just had the shooting down in Texas. Absolutely tragic, horrific. Of course, it's got the, the nation in a turmoil once again, where we don't know really what to do. But we'd like to take a moment right here to offer up a prayer for the people in Texas and for our nation to be able to navigate this. So uh, if you would like to join us right now and offer your prayer up at the same time, I believe that God is a God outside of time. And so whenever whenever you might hear this, um, you can lift a prayer up as well. Father in heaven, we want to come to you today with heavy hearts. We recognize that ugly things happen in the world. We don't know the answers. All kinds of solutions get tossed up, but we know that we have to rely on you. We want to lift up uh, the parents of the children who were lost. We want to lift up all of the authorities, all of the teachers, um, all of the families that are struggling at this time, who are having to face the realities that sin has brought to our world. We don't know the answers, Father. We don't know what to do. But we, we, we know that you see they're hurting as well. We have the, the tendency to want to offer up our thoughts and prayers. And maybe at times that's really all we can do. But we want to right now be sure that we do offer up these prayers. That our hearts are broken with those people. That as we think of the possibilities that this could happen to our children. This could happen to our loved ones. We struggle with it, Lord. And so we would ask that um, we would place this in your hands. We would ask you that uh, you would grant healing to those who are hurt at this time, that you would grant them some level of comfort. We know that someday we will see those lost children again, that when you return, that you will be able to raise them up, that they will see life again, and that life will be a life without violence, without struggle, without conflict. It will be a life of peace and without fear. So, Father, we, we, we lift you up. We lift them up. We lift this situation up. We lay it in your hands. We, help, we hope that uh, we can find some sort of solution, but we do know also that this world is slowly, maybe rapidly, maybe more rapid than we even know, coming to an end. And eventually these things will be no more. So with that, Lord, we, we lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What you see is two forces fighting over man's free will. And that is a foundationally different point of view. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are your friends and mine, Karen. Yes. And Tracy. Good morning. And Amy. Good morning from Colorado. Colorado, where it is winter in the summertime. Swinter. Yeah, you guys got snow. Oh. Yep, we got a good snow. <laughs> well, at least it was some water. Wet stuff yep. is appreciated there. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, we didn't get it so much right here, but parts of Colorado got it pretty good. Oh, interestingly, yeah, because Tracy and I, our 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 boys are on summer vacation now, and it's literally freezing outside, <laughs> which is just bizarre. I don't remember that ever being a, a, the case when I was a kid growing up here. But thirty-four degrees this morning. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's nuts. So my my son is here visiting right now, and he and his girlfriend came up from Texas. They've been down at her family's place in Texas, and they showed up, and they're like, it's so green. It's so mm-hmm. green. Like, that's all they've said for the last two days as we wander around and do stuff. It's so green. It's so pretty. It's so green. <laughs> and of yeah. course, my son was born and raised in Alaska, so he's going, oh, it looks like home, right? Uh-huh. And then last last night, so yesterday was clear and sunny, clouded up last night, downpour. And he's outside standing on my big old covered porch looking around going, oh, this is <laughs> this is so much water. water, so much water. It just falls out of the sky. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's this weird thing called rain. Yeah. We yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah, here it's just been cold and windy and. It's been windy for two months. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, 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 I think they. To the new Cheyenne, Wyoming. I'm going to say that the Wyoming border has moved south. Because for people who aren't from around here, if you if you were traveling from Colorado into Wyoming, I think that when they set that border, it must have been like when they hit the wind, they said, "Okay, Wyoming, you can have that. And we're going to stay over here because it's a clear demarcation. Yeah, it's I mean, it's as soon as you hit that border, you get blasted in the face with wind and it's ridiculous wind and it never stops, it seems. And uh, lately it seemed like it's just moved south and it's just been going and going and going so literally two months yeah i don't like it i don't want it they can keep it (laughs) all righty well let's get into our discussion today and today has potential to be really interesting i think we are going to be talking about the uh we're going to be talking about ezekiel chapters 28 through 33 and as we recall ezekiel has been in uh, in Babylon, having been captured, having been taken away early on in that uh, process of, of the uh, forces of Babylon taking uh, taking over the area. And he's been having visions of things that are happening back in Jerusalem. And then uh, last week, as we let off, left off, we were talking about um, all the things that God then was saying against the kingdom of Tyre, which we may remember. Tyre was a big center of trade, if I remember right, and you guys can help me here. But I think Tyre was a big wood. exporter of yeah cedar wood and mm-hmm. and such. And then uh, supplied Solomon when he was building the temple. Isn't that where he? It's the yeah. Solomon we had talked about last week is, but David actually set up the, the whole. He cemented the deal. Solomon reaped the benefits, but David set it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the kingdom of Tyre has kind of been in our radar for what we've been reading for for a while, and now with the with the downfall of Israel and Judah and now specifically we've been talking a lot about Jerusalem we're seeing that all of the all of the outlying regions as well are being kind of dismantled by Babylon as as that kingdom takes over and so as we get into chapter eight, uh 28 
now. Uh, and it begins with this proc- uh, proclamation against the king of Tyre. We get into some very interesting. Oh, how do I want to put it? It, it? A lot of this, especially here in chapter 28, the beginning of chapter 28, as it talks about the kingdom of or the king of Tyre. It has been understood by, I think, most Christian organizations as also being representative of Lucifer's fall from heaven um, and his and his expulsion, I guess you could say. Yeah, I just I think it's super interesting how the Holy Spirit inspires different writers to inject things like this. And, you know, like in. Isaiah, Isaiah will be going along talking about, you know, what's coming upon his people, and suddenly he's giving a messianic prophecy. And in this case, we have Ezekiel talking about what's happening with the king of Tyre, but then the undercurrent is, oh, and by the way, this is where evil comes from. Mm-hmm. Now, it is interesting that it is so prevalent amongst, so recognized, maybe is the word I should say, as being kind of the story of the fall of lucifer because it's really not explicit in the text you know he lucifer isn't he's not named here at all it really is directed at this king of tyre but it's it's just been widely recognized that this is an underlying story uh of going on with with lucifer in that fall isn't that the the whole premise of of maybe evil and self where you have the exaltation of self Mm -hmm. to the point of I'm God. I'm a God. Where if you look, you know, historically, you see this in a lot of those early and great civilizations that that led to their ultimate downfall. Mm -hmm. When they exalted themselves that high and then put themselves at direct odds with God. Like like um, Nebuchadnezzar. When he yes. says, is that not this great Babylon that I have built? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm that bad. You know? Where, I, I don't want to steal the thunder, but, you know, coming up, Egypt, another one. When you look, you know, along the whole history of Egypt, it's I'm a god. Yeah. I'm human form of a god. I make the sun come up and the sun go down. And it's like, OK, now we have an issue. And I think that only lasts so long before God is like, I've had enough of that. Let me show you who is in in power. Yeah. Whose world well, this truly is. Well, and it's it's a form of mental confusion. I mean, think about what you just said. I make the sun to come up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you are that full of yourself that you think you have power over something like that, you are confused. I think this is at its at its heart, idolatry, and at its full extent, blasphemy. Yep. So anytime we remove God from the position of God, it is idolatry because something will take that place. So on a little person scale, like a normal human being who isn't, say, running one of the greatest nations on earth, <laughs> mm. that just that's just idolatry. Like something else will take that place. But you're already wrong. Like, you're already wrong. But then for the few humans in the world who have managed to hold these positions of massive power and wealth and influence, I think we all know how fallen human nature responds to massive power and wealth and influence. Not typically trustworthy with it, at least for more than about five seconds. And so you end up with a bit of a God complex. 
Either mm -hmm. I will ascend to the most high or look at me. I made the sun come up. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what we're talking about here is God giving Ezekiel a message kind of specifically to this king of Tyre. I don't think we're given his name here, are we? This king's Tyre. I don't think we're given his name. No. Just he's he's just called the king of Tyre and comes right out the gate. You think you're a god because of all the wealth that you obtained from your trade. So like I said, this has been a a center of 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 trade has clearly been making the kingdom of Tyre very wealthy and powerful. I mean, you know, if you're in a if you're in a area where where trade is necessary, where, you know, you've got something that somebody needs and you can you can provide it, uh, it's an opportunity for you to make a lot of money. And it sounds here like the money the, the, and that wealth kind of corrupted this king. I think probably very similarly. Well, I see some some here where when Solomon was doing so well and then it kind of fell. And I think that probably there was some pride involved with that. But um, yeah, go ahead, I think Karen. The whole, that whole paradigm of self. Yeah. If you go back to the first couple of verses where God is is give, relaying the message, it says, in the pride of your heart, you say, I am a God. I sit on I sit on the throne of a God in the heart of the seas, but you are a mere mortal and not a God, although you think you are as wise as a God. Right. So it actually starts with his self-perception of cleverness. Mm -hmm. And he uses that cleverness to create wealth and and trading. Right. Like all of these things, these these positions of power and influence and being able to move big things on the earth. But it's his cleverness that starts it all. Yeah. Where he's, you know, he even starts out, he reminds this, this king, he says, will you say before him who slays you, I am a god, but you shall be a man and not a god. So God is, you know, he's reminding him, you're not god. You might have gotten yourself into a really powerful position but you still are not God. And so if we relate this then to the concept of this being Lucifer in heaven, I guess is what we would say, you know, our, our widespread belief of him is that, is that he became proud of his position and to the point of wanting to take the place of Christ as part of, I don't know if it was as part of part of the uh the trinity or just wanting to place himself in the in the position of god in general did you guys notice a difference between the first spiel against the king of tyre and the second spiel against the king of tyre well, elaborate so we can so yeah. the first one seems to be mostly about earthly things by your wisdom and understanding you have gained wealth for yourself amassed gold and silver in your treasuries because you think you're as wise as a god, I will bring foreigners against you, the most ruthless of nations. They will draw their swords against your beauty and wisdom and pierce your shining splendor. You will die the death of the uncircumcised at the hands of the foreigners. That is very earthly. That is very mm -hmm. earthbound. The accusations are earthbound and the takedown is earthbound. Then when he starts up his second spiel against the king of Tyre in verses 11 and 12, then it goes above the earthbound. And to me, that's where it started to sound like he was doing the double meaning, mm -hmm. talking, about, talking about Lucifer before the fall. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there in 11 is where it really seems to start bringing in that, that, that second concept. Because uh, he starts talking about 
Oh, how does it play? It puts him in a position of calls it perfection, uh, and uses the terms perfection and wisdom and beauty. And he says um, flat out, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Mm-hmm. You know, like he, he he straight out says, like, we're we're no longer talking about just the little king of Tyre here on his on his little country, on his little throne. Yeah. So I think, too, Matt, when you're talking about, you know, how we get this idea of what he wanted, um, I think your mind is maybe jumping over to Isaiah 14. How are you mm-hmm. fallen? You know, uh, mm-hmm. you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God and I will set my throne on the on high. I will sit. Uh, in the seat of the Almighty. Yeah, it's not like, I mean, if you were only going to read this passage, you might have some question about whether or not this could be related to to Lucifer. Uh, mm-hmm. But when you put you you put it with other passages, you can see how there is a correlation and yes. and be yeah. able to make that make that step. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that there's confusion. The way I read this, where mm-hmm. the way the fact that it names him as being in the in Eden and being covered with precious stones and being on the mount you were on the holy mount of God you walked among the fiery stones mm-hmm. and uh, you were blameless from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you guardian cherub. From among the fiery stones, your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. See, like I don't, I don't see that blurry line. To me, this is very clear. Oh, I guess I didn't feel like it was a blurry line. I just more feel like there's other evidence in other parts of scripture. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. The only reason I say that. I, I guess I wouldn't use the word blurry line either. I just if if you were reading this isolated, you know, where it's very clearly directed at King of Tyre, mm-hmm. uh, you may not in, immediately take that. See, we're I mean, we're, we're reading this with some hindsight. We're, we're reading this having read, you know, the bits of in Isaiah and reading about uh, the fall of the dragon in um, uh, Revelation. And we're able to apply it back to some of this and some of it yes it does seem it does seem very clear um, but i but i think a lot of that is directed by our by our hindsight on that because Did you just give away part of the end of the book sorry i know i'm gonna stop listening spoiler yeah but uh because i was reading some of the notes here this really is this is the only area this is the only text in the bible that describes uh that w- that, that we would ascribe the title of a cherub of a guardian cherub to Lucifer. Uh, the note, the notes I was reading say that it's, that's not really applied to him anywhere else. Yep. And, you know, it's, it's widespread enough that I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to place any doubt on it at all. I just, I just think it's important because this has been presented to me many, 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 many times out of context as being solely a story about Satan's fall from, from heaven. And usually when these evangelists do this, they don't tell you that this is actually talking about this king from Tyre. And so if you're coming across this, reading it on your own, you're, you, you, and you're seeing this in the context of this fall of Jerusalem and Israel and the historical things happening around there, you might be going, and some people have looked at this and go, that's not, that this really isn't directly about Satan at all. It's about this king of Tyre. So, mm-hmm. um, 
so I just, I, you know, I just think it's important for us to to remember to place context where it's necessary, where we should, and and uh, not jump to a conclusion without recognizing that we're, we're 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 gleaning information from other places as well. Because when I, you know, the first time I read through this and realized that, wait a minute, this isn't talking, this isn't, this isn't a direct uh, story of Satan. It's uh we're supposed to infer something from it here. You know, I felt a little, I got to say, I felt a little jilted, not, not that I disbelieved what I had been taught about it, but just the way that I had been taught about it, I guess, if that makes sense. But yeah, so he's just, he described as being perfect and had wisdom and beauty um, in Eden clothed in precious stones. Uh, so he's this image of beauty. You know, if you looked at him, you would see something to be, something to be, Oh, what am I trying to say? I'm just floundering. Go ahead, Amy. Well, I just thought, you know, what you're saying is actually really important, though, because if people are just starting to study the Bible um, or if they have um, sort of a, you know, how a lot of people have sort of a worldly perspective of of the whole God thing. And so Mm -hmm. they'll think, well, how come they're suffering or Mm -hmm. how come, you know, and they'll they'll make these draw conclusions that are not actually from the Bible. So I think it is really important to to look at what the scriptures actually say, because one of the things that's happening in this passage is we're getting a, a view of the great controversy. Like there is a massive battle going on between good and evil. And there's an actual character named Satan who's, you know, behind the scenes manipulating and causing suffering. And a lot of people actually don't have that perspective. They just think, you know, the world is horrible and I don't like God because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you talk to people, a lot of people actually do believe in God, but they don't like him because right. they think that the the suffering in the world is actually caused by this being that could make things different. Yeah, well, and I see a lot of people who claim atheism really are just angry with God. I, I don't think that I think of a lot of and you know, of course, I'm not I'm not in their shoes, but I think a lot, if not most, a, most, most atheists choose not to believe not so much because they don't believe but because they're angry with with what they with their perception of god one of the tricks of this is and and amy i know you weren't around for the early days of the podcast but one of the things do you guys remember what we noticed when we read the book of job way back when there were these big supernatural things happening and job ends up in the bullseye yeah, he's right. hit over and over and never once in the entire what is it 42 chapters of job did anyone in the story including job himself the man of faith did did they ever once acknowledge the existence of a functioning devil mm-hmm. they only talked about god so to me this is one of the tricks of a balanced view of the spiritual world is there a god did he create if he created, did he create Lucifer? Did Lucifer fall? Is he now on this earth as an active force fighting against God? Is there a behind the scenes supernatural war happening? If that is true, then you don't just look around the world and see a God in control who doesn't care enough to intervene and stop all the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. What you see is two forces fighting over man's free will. And that is a foundationally different point of view. To me, that's the biggest miss, missing piece in most spiritual discussions with people who are agnostic or atheist. Mm-hmm. 
so that's been my experience too, Matt, is that I feel like, well, I had a professor of veterinary ethics who was, um, he would call himself agnostic, but again, it wasn't that he didn't believe in God. It was that he was very angry with God. He was Jewish. His family had died in the Holocaust and he could not understand how a good God could allow that to happen. And, you know, hey, um, if you don't have that perspective of there is also this other power that is at war with goodness, you're never going to understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We Satan has done a pretty good job of laying the blame mm-hmm. on God instead of taking the blame, instead of admitting that it was his pride that has caused all the trouble. You know, as we're seeing here with this with this correlation with the king of Tyre or this pride made him think he was hot stuff. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting, too, when Jesus speaks about Satan, you know, he says he's a murderer. Um, He calls him the father of lies. And then also whenever we see Jesus, who is the representation of who God really is, he's using his creative power to fix the things that have gone wrong. So he's healing the blind, raising the dead, you know, these things that cause such deep suffering for each of us he's fixing just with his words and 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 so he's calling out satan essentially and saying look your world is broken but when i am in control of the world when i have when i lay my hands on people they are healed and made whole and so he's showing us jesus himself is showing us his goodness and the goodness of god in that yeah well jesus calling him the calling him a murderer that fits right here because it talks about him being cast out because he was filled with violence. And as we read Revelation, sorry uh, uh, there, uh, Karen, I'm, I'm I'm giving away the ending again. But, <laughs> but um, as we read Revelation and we see that there was a war that broke out in heaven. And I have, I have tried to picture what that would be like. If you're, if you are in this perfect realm we think of it as spiritual, whether it's a physical place. I tend to think that there's a physical aspect to it. Somehow, somewhere out there is a place you could go. And But if you're in this place of perfection where there's no death, there is no sin. I guess at this point, though, there was, wasn't there? But what does a war in heaven look like? What does it look like to have heavenly beings fighting each other because my thought of war always consists of one side trying to kill the other side and i you know can't, I, about that. I can't fathom that i thought about that before and i'm thinking of perfect beings you think about all throughout the bible that one angel alone could kill hundreds and thousands of souls mm, yeah right. where every one of the angels has that perfect you know, is it fighting capability? So, you know, I think it was just the act of being against each other and at war. Is it, do we know if it was of a physical nature? I don't know. Is it just being a war at being at odds with each other and saying I side with God or I side with Lucifer to the point of where it went on to have God ultimately say, okay, and cast them out because mm-hmm. you know could it have been okay we're getting nowhere yeah 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 wars of words and thoughts and, and yeah you know. and much of a physical nature because they're all perfect 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because and, and it's hard to say, you know, oh, they're perfect killing machines or what have you when you think of warriors and and wars and that kind of thing. But like you were saying before, there was no war in heaven before. Mm-hmm. There was no um, adverse thinking towards one another. So this was a whole new concept. Did it get to a physical nature? We don't know. But it yeah. only got to the point where God couldn't take it anymore and said, okay, listen, I could destroy you or I could cast you out. And that's where we get the whole, you know, the great controversy, the good against the evil to I have to give you free will or I'll be, a, you know, just a ruler by fear. So yeah. off you go. Yeah, so that really is the underlying story here. So we'll just relate it to lucifer as it is lucifer being this well he's he's described here as a covering cherub what does that mean because like we've talked about here what what is a cherub we've long had a, a picture in our mind of what that would be and and the bible doesn't really back that up i i would just like to say that the earthly version of a cherub cherub really takes some of the fire out of satan's power <laughs> right right it's not a naked baby so if, little baby if, work <laughs> in that respect it's hilarious yeah and i think satan deserves it because he's been kind of mean to me throughout the course of my life <laughs> but even if we don't think of it as the baby <laughs> we tend to think of angels as like a tall humanoid wearing a robe of some Caucasian. sort don't forget that part gleaming yeah. blonde hair <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> with with you know with big majestic wings coming off its back and that that picture is not from the Bible at all. In fact, a friend of mine was just in, I think it was in Nashville, and she went to the Parthenon in Nashville and went inside, and there's a huge, huge, huge statue of the goddess, I think it's Athena, and in her hand, she's holding a smaller uh, depiction of the goddess Nike, and that picture of Nike you look at that, that is exactly what we think of as an as an angel. That's the picture that we have put on countless paintings. We have we have plastered all over things of it. What people think of as angels, they're thinking of the goddess Nike. And so when we think of this cherub, we think of we're, you know, even if we're thinking of Lucifer as a cherub, and that's the picture we get in our mind, it's a wrong picture. At least it's not a picture backed up. It's not a picture backed up by scripture. So, you know, even in calling him a cherub, some of the descriptions we've had of cherubim um, are very, very different from what we've thought of in the past. And a lot of the, you know, when the angels would come and talk to talk to Abraham in the past, they were just described as as men. So, um, you know, are were they some kind of creature that's able to appear in different ways? Maybe. But we don't, you know, I don't know. We just don't have a we don't have a clear picture of of what a cherub really looks like because it's just been so uh, polluted with concepts coming from from other sources and and not the Bible. But it still stands that Lucifer was in a high position. Um, I've even heard it said that he was like practically practically second in command to God. He was so such a high up that that was part of where his pride came from. And then I don't know the legends I hear or the you know is that Gabriel kind of took his place. Oh, what's that? He dwelled in the midst of God. You you can't get any closer than that. Yeah, right there. Yeah. 
and 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 so a lot you know a lot of times when we see um gabriel then it seems like maybe gabriel kind of took that place was was promoted if you will that's not in the bible anywhere that's that i know of anyway that's just uh that's just sort of the oh i don't know you know the, the legends that we have of of, of all this but you know but, but i thought we we had read somewhere too as far as lucifer and celso and he was high up there to the point of wasn't it that others had to shield themselves other people had to shield themselves from the presence of god and he could he could be there hmm i don't know i wanted to say we had mentioned that somewhere else i was hoping somebody could like relay that because i i had that question and i was like for some reason i i thought it because it was like the well i i can't really address that i know that you know it, it seems like whenever if if a man if an angel doesn't present himself as a man and people see them as angels uh right away the angel says don't be afraid so there must be some sort of terrifying reaction to seeing a being like that um mm-hmm. and then number 2 think about the irrationality of lucifer at this point like you are a created being and then to make yourself like god to think mm-hmm. that you could be you know, the greatest thing and from the great I am, the one from whom everything emanates, um, is totally irrational. And evil itself is irrational. Mm-hmm. Well, and we see we see that. I mean, I think I, that's probably why we're seeing this correlation, too, with other kings, because we see it with the king of Tyre. We've seen it with. Um, well, we'll talk about it when we. Well, Pharaoh, I mean, we've talked about Pharaoh before, you know, even back with the Exodus why it was so hard to Pharaoh for Pharaoh to just give in and recognize God as supreme because the man believed that he was a God. He believed that he was, didn't they believe that they were incarnations of Ra, the sun God? Yeah. Which is kind of like their highest, their highest God. And, you know, when you're, when you're raised from a young age to believe this about yourself, you know, it's, uh, it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you get to that point other than you've just, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's a sense of pride, unlike anything else. Yes. And I think it was a facade that had to be put up to keep the people thinking then that that's what it was. Because if you ultimately look at the history of Pharaohs, they were not healthy ever. Yeah. They came with a variety of birth defects, everything else. And so, I think with that kind of um, physical anomaly, maybe that that's how they were able to justify some of these things, you know, oblong heads, not being a, not having, you know, perfect physical statures, uh, deformities in their leg. You know, what I mean, they, they mm-hmm. try to attribute these deformities to being um, godlike. And it's like, well, no, really, they're, you know, they have their own physical limitations but it was a facade they had to keep for their to keep the people where they needed them mm-hmm. right i i was just going to say i i kind of wonder about some of these kingdoms now like i read a, a history about north korea and this man who had defected out of north korea and he talks about the fact that they had been taught that number 1 was a god and that he was to be worshiped and anyway he was sitting near him at one point and he saw the man's toes and he saw that they weren't perfect and he said that was the beginning of his realization 
that that was just another man. And I thought, whoa, but it's just like what you were talking about, Matt. You know, if you're raised or maybe it was Tracy, but you're raised to believe that you are a God and everyone around you buys into it. And then someone sees your toes and realizes that they're crooked. (laughs) And it was just such a great moment in like literature, reading this guy saying, I saw that he was human, just like me. (laughs) Seen seen many a picture of perfection ruined by ugly feet. (laughs) Right. It was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you have you have this figure that is essentially perfect, and for some reason, as it puts it here, uh, verse fifteen, he's perfect from the day he was created until iniquity was found in him. There is no, I don't. There is no logical reason that you can come up with for Lucifer to gain this sense of pride and and fall to this this uh position of sin i've heard it called what are the uh the mis- the mystery of iniquity is the way i've heard it called in the past where yes. there we have no explanation for it there is no logical reason for it to be because he was he was created perfect he was in the presence of perfection uh, yet his pride took over it somehow and and caused him to fall like this. I can't I can't fathom it. I mean, you know, and just in my own mind. And, you know, we've always thought, you know, oh, if only I had God speaking directly to me, surely I would be in a better position. But yet we have this guy of, of in literal perfection and still still fell. Amy, what chapter were you reading out of Isaiah before? 14. Aha. Well, that would have taken me a while to flip to it page by page. I was in the 40s going, I know it's here somewhere. I know it's here somewhere. (laughs) Hang on a second. If I remember correctly, this chapter directly addresses the source of Satan's issues. You follow you? Are we getting issues? You said in your heart. Okay. So... It's vanity. So if you combine what it says in Ezekiel 28, where we're at now, and what it says in Isaiah 14, I think you get a pretty clear image of what was going on. And that is basically he was created of like the most beautiful of all created beings. And in his vanity, his heart became lifted up. And as the my understanding of the covering, the guard, the guarding cherub or the covering cherub is that he stood on one side of the throne of God and mm-hmm. used his wings as cover for God when necessary. That's always been my understanding of it. And that's I, I can't point to a verse that says that that's a lifelong of probably not theology. That's a lifelong thing of not theology. But. Isaiah 14, starting in chapter 12 or verse 12 is what you're thinking Mm of. Yeah. How are you fall? How are you fallen from heaven? O Lucifer, son of the morning. How are you cut down to the earth? You who weakened the nations for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. Here's the priorities. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. And, you know, I will be like the most high. And yet, instead, you will be brought down. All right. And then you go to where we're at now. And it talks about his beauty. Like, 
he gets distracted by his own beauty. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. He was there at creation and covered with every precious stone. Like, like this, this was, this was not, this was not just a run of the mill angel. Like he was a guarding cherubim. And this was, he was a big deal. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So the same way that they make the rather cliche little thing, like I is the center of the word sin, right? That's right. basically we're reading here. His vanity got the better of him. Someone should have taken away his mirror and just like told him to get busy, given him a hobby or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So an interesting point here that I, I, I the thing here that I'd like to point out as we were, you know, you brought up Isaiah and we t- we talked about that name Lucifer, right? And do you remember when we were studying this Isaiah and we found, found that other, not all translations actually have that name Lucifer in there, right. where yeah. Lucifer is actually a Latin word and it just, and it's talking about morning star. You know, mm-hmm. we give, we give a name to Satan. We, you know, one Satan, we, we, we put a capital S on it and we will call him Satan or we'll call him Lucifer. He's really never named. Those are named because really the term Satan is more, it's more correctly would be the Satan. The like accuser, the, the accuser. accuser, the evil or Lucifer. It's really more of a descriptive term as this morning star. You know, we, I think here, here, here's another bit of his deception. I think where he has, he has managed to lift himself up in our eyes to the point where we see him maybe stronger than he really is. He's he's managed to put himself on a level where people think he's equal with God. And we're like, we have this balance of scales in the universe to see who's going to win. And in reality, God is so much more powerful than the one we call Lucifer or Satan. And he's ha- he has managed to get us to call him by a name that he really doesn't even have. At least not that we not that we're not that we're given. You know, I, I just find that interesting that we give him a name that he's not really given in scripture. I am a little confused by what you're saying. I know that Satan is a descriptor and it does mean the accuser, but I thought Lucifer was his name. So Mm-mm. maybe I'm confused. No. Lucifer is a Latin word. Mm. It's it's entirely Latin. I mean, when you look at it in um let's see, when I looked at it in I was just looking at it in IV and it calls him Morning Star. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see if I can look it up here in So New King James does use Lucifer and they and they capitalize it. But that's an entirely a Latin word. Meaning, I wonder if it's just because our experience is, you know, he is the the captain of our ship, um, unless we've given ourselves to Christ. You know, he is the declared ruler of this world until Christ conquered him. So I wonder if it's just because our experience is so much mm-hmm. that we live in a very fallen world because he claimed us. Yeah, yeah. See, the word used there in the original Hebrew is actually halal, which means uh, the, the its root literally just means to shine. And so he's just like the shining one, but it's not, it's not really his name. 
Well, and Lucifer means light, so that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. The other thing that jumps into my mind right now is C.S. Lewis in the Space Trilogy, he always calls him the bent one, um, mm. which is a way of saying that evil makes no sense. It's not that it is, you know, like the yin and the yang, where it's the opposite of good or it's some other factor in the universe. It is simply a bending of what was good. Mm-hmm. I love that illustration. Yeah, yeah. and with no with no great reason for it. The reprimand to the king of Tyre is you got caught up in your own wisdom and abilities and I'm going to bring you down, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to send foreigners against you and you're going to die slaughtered by the foreigners. And then he gets to addressing uh, Satan and he, and he basically says you got distracted by yourself and your priorities turned upside down and you became the center of things And you thought that you had power because you had the ability to do these things. But I'm going to bring you down. I'm going to reduce you to ashes on the ground. And all the nations will be appalled at you. You will come to a horrible end. Right? And then he goes on in the same chapter. He talks about Sidon. Mm -hmm. And he says basically the same thing. It's a much smaller version of it. But he says, I am against you, Sidon. Among you, I will display my glory. You will know that I am the Lord when I inflict punishment on you. And within you am proved to be holy. Right? So it's this, it's this battle for man's free will. Like, I will, I will implement things to show my character and my power. And everybody looking on will have to look at what happened and see and make a choice. And so I think for society then, as society now, although it probably looks different, but like the actual manifestation of it is different, is how blind is humanity? How deeply asleep is humanity to what is happening in this spiritual war? So if free will is the pivot point of the war, which I believe it is, not God's Mm -hmm. power, not Satan's power, but human free will. This is a, a war of relationship, right? If that is true, and Satan uses every means possible to distract us and trick us and destroy us, and God is fighting with clean means, is it any wonder that humans are so deeply asleep and don't even see what's happening around them? Don't even see it. That's not important. That's stupid. Like we're um, we're talking earlier about like agnostics and atheists and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, do they even know that there is an evil force out there or is the evil force so sneaky by continually pointing to the good force in snarky like, well, it's his fault. Mm. Is, is he powerful or not? What did the, what did they say to what did the thief say to Jesus on the cross? You're the son of God. Come down. Climb on down, buddy. Climb on down. You don't have to hang here if you're actually all powerful. Uh-uh. This is free. This is free will. That's the proving ground, and that is that is where all of this blindness is playing out. So when I read these chapters, I see earthly governments that have gotten out of control by think getting too big for their britches, to use an old phrase. Like, hey, look at me. I made the sunrise. Look at me. I run the Nile. You don't run the Nile. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The Nile happens to run past the capital of your kingdom. You don't run the Nile. You don't own it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you don't own the stars of heaven. You don't own the wealth that you earned. Come on, you know. Yeah. So to me, that's all of this goes back to the exact same thing, which is 
how does God prove himself on earth using earthly means to, to engage our free will? And that's what I see happening here. When we look at Egypt too, and you know, you bring up the Nile, and that's one of the things that the gods were in control of because you figure it was the way their whole civilization was surrounded by the, you know, the deltas, the food that was produced, the commerce, the trade, everything. It was, um, you know, almost to the point of those seasons were were looked upon as the as the the pharaohs were controlling those. Well, you look now when we get to this, and God says, you know what, I control that. And you look at the downfall of that civilization, and you go back. What do they say? The drying up of the Nile. Mm. So how does a God explain to his people, the, as the pharaohs were portraying, why is the Nile drying up? Why are all of our things um, that are surrounded by the Nile going, commerce, food, the whole deal, and you can't do anything about it? Yep, he's disrupting the earthly gods. Yes, mm -hmm. explain attention, to me, attention back the to Nile, you would let us starve. Or the, the land go to waste or famine and disease set into the land. Explain it. And then I think that's when you start to punch holes in that theory that they're gods because people are now saying, we'll do something because we're we're dying out here. And they can't. Apply that to the modern world. I feel like that is the center of the, you know, like we're given the privilege of being able to see this war. Unfortunately, we happen to be uh, the thing that's being fought over. And so we have a lot of suffering. But I also, I look at the last century and the, the horrors that happened. And I think, okay, that is what Satan's kingdom looks like. Like when he has full control of a civilization like Nazi Germany or something, we see what his kingdom looks like. And, and by contrast, every time someone in those scenarios does a loving act, you see God, um, which is why those stories of, of like the hiding place with Corey Ten Boom or whatever are so profound. Because in the face of absolute evil, someone does something courageous because of love. And I think that's the only way that Satan's kingdom is ever broken. Mm -hmm. Well, continuing with that parallel, then we see that as, as the kingdom of Tyre gets basically cast down, so does Satan get cast down from, uh, from heaven. This high position that he had is just taken away, and he's... He, I mean, he's put here on Earth, which I've described as a, a, a tiny speck in a sea of specks. And he's he's named in certain parts of the Bible, like as the ruler of this world. Um, what a what a what a fall that was to go from kind of second in command with the God of the universe to now having as your domain this tiny little blue speck out in a out in the sea of darkness and uh the kingdom of tyre too is just it's just dropped down and and um you know as you go through the text it talks about how uh he says i god is saying to him i turned you to ashes upon the earth um so you know this this king of tyre is diminished to nothingness and i think this is a it's looking forward as well to satan's ultimate destiny here at some point we're gonna we're gonna read in revelation i'm gonna give away the ending again karen sorry but um 
You have to stop doing that. We're losing listeners by the thousands. <laughs> hey, there's some people that just like to go to the end of the book and 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 read the last page first. And so I'm just a, I'm just uh, I'm just uh, uh, catering to those people right now. But but where you know where the world will be filled with fire and Satan and all of his followers will be ultimately destroyed. And I think that's uh, we're getting a little glimpse of that here. Then where um where he will be turned to ashes. He will be destroyed. He will be brought to literally nothing. In yeah. front of everyone. Everyone who he deceived and tricked will yeah. see it happen. So that in the end, the ultimate free will, the free will qu- question will be answered. Yeah. And this is why the Bible says things like times of ignorance God winks at, but now calls everyone to repentance. Mm-hmm. Right? Things like yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we should probably move on. I think we're at a record here. We've got nearly an hour and half of a chapter. <laughs> but that's okay, because the things we're going to talk about here, I think, are going to move rather quickly. I, I, had, I had a suspicion that this was going to be the case. Because uh, we've talked about the King of Sidon and how he has been a thorn in, for Israel uh, but yeah, this king, we've got a proclamation against Sidon where there's going to be judgments executed against him. There's going to be pestilence and, you know, there's, they're going to be taken out. We're given a brief glimpse here of Israel's future blessing. And this is really telling us why God is removing Israel from the area. So, you know, we've been talking about how God is taking them out, right? He's taking them out of the area. What we're seeing here that all these surrounding nations that have been this negative influence, they're getting taken out. And so when we, we get into the, towards the end here of chapter 28, um, it's talking about how God is going to gather Israel uh, eventually from where they've been scattered and they're going to be brought back. But this won't happen until it says, uh, or at least the way I wrote it, God will gather Israel from where they are scattered after executing judgments on the surrounding nations who despise them. So they're being they're being pulled away from the bad influence so that they can be brought back when those influences have been have been handled. So it's not just a correction for Israel itself, but it is a it is a cleansing of the area to take these kingdoms down to where they won't be the influence that they have been. That's what I have written down, that it's a, a cleansing of the region. Yeah. Everybody around them. Yeah. I, I kind of am interested in the fact that so much of the Old Testament is a discussion of what's happening with other countries, other individuals, you know, the, the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar, all of these sorts of things, and God's concern for all of the people of the earth. And, Israel is the center of the story because the Messiah is coming through Israel. But at the same time, you know, God is showing that he is actively involved in all the nations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has been. You know, we've been seeing this even since the time of of uh, Abraham, where mm-hmm. we knew that the land was going to be given 400 years for mm-hmm. God to try to work with these people, give them an opportunity at least to to turn obviously we can see they didn't turn. We can see that they, they persisted in their idolatry and, and now they're being dealt with just like everybody else. So yeah, it is really fascinating how we can see here where God is working with 
this entire region, with the entire world. It really would be fascinating to know how God has dealt with these other, you know, even farther out reaches. You know, what was he doing in the Asian countries? What was he doing? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know if there were people in the Americas yet. I mean, I suppose. I mean, of course, our, our scientific community would tell us there were. So, you know, what what was happening with the Native, with the Native Americans at the time? You know, you'd know that you know, you know, the Aztecs, we know that the Aztecs had their own issues of sacri- human sacrifices and things. What was God doing in those areas? It'll be fascinating someday to be able to discover what God was doing in these other places. Yeah, I agree. That's really cool. Yeah. So now we get into some proclamations against Egypt, which um, Tracy kind of alluded to already here a little bit, where God is against Egypt. And we're told... We're, we're kind of given some dates here. We're told this is the 10th year, the 10th month, and the 12th day. And I take this to be of their captivity. Yes, I do too. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when we look at chapter one, that was five years after Jehoiachin's capture. And so now we're 10 years in as far as what Ezekiel is telling us. And he's making, and there's some proclamations being made against Egypt. Flat out, God says he's against Egypt. And that, that's always to me one of the most it's it's kind of a terrifying thought if you, if god was ever to you ever to get a message from god where god says i am against you <laughs> i would be peeing my pants right you know uh there should be anyway um but we know how much these we, we we've seen we've seen in the past how pharaoh was so defiant in the face of god where Egypt here is, they're compared to a monster that lives in the river. And I kind of take this to be sort of like a picture of a crocodile. And he's claimed to have made the river. So so this pharaoh, you know, pharaoh is claiming like, uh, who was it? It was just, I think it was Karen. I think you were saying, you don't own the river. You didn't make the river. But they claim to have made the river. Right. And uh, uh, obviously they haven't. And talks about how it's going to have hooks in your jaws, which I was reading. This is kind of a method of hunting crocodiles. You know, you literally hook them in the jaws and you'd pull them out of the water. But it also was an allusion to a bit of how they would actually lead their prisoners with hooks in their mouths. And it was sort of a humiliating. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it was sort of a humiliating. Do you know anything about that, Tracy? As far as? The leading their prisoners with hooks in their mouths. I have no idea on that one. Yeah, I don't know. I, just, heard, so. I had always heard nose, like they would do to a bull. Yeah, That's there was that I too. Prisoners, not not the mouth. Yeah, so in this case, it would seem, at least this is some of the notes I was reading here, and in, in, it was that uh, the Egyptians would hook them in the mouth somehow and lead them that way. Ultimately, though, they're going to be given as food to the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven. So they're going to be, there's going to be some decimation here, like, you would not think Egypt. I, I would have never thought this of Egypt to be to be decimated the way that we're gonna that we talk about here, brought down because we we see that they're they're gonna get just absolutely plundered. They're gonna be even to the point where at one point I think it was saying that Egypt is gonna be essentially empty for forty years, and that was a concept that that I was not familiar with. But you know we think of Egypt as sort of this big superpower of the area. Uh, but I don't think we see the prominence in the world that that we would expect from from a nation that powerful at one time. But I guess there's really not much in the in that region that is an individual nation that really is deemed as a superpower in our time. 
when I was in college, I worked at a summer camp and one of my coworkers was a guy from Egypt. And um, it was interesting to me that he had come to the United States sort of to find opportunity, just like anyone else. But also this verse, it talks about how he, God, verse 13 says that he will scatter them among the nations, or I guess it's 12. And we were talking earlier about what God is doing in each of these countries. And, and now if you look at Egypt, it's actually a mixture of uh, Islamic believers, but also Coptic Christians. So some of the early Christians, uh, you know, spread into Egypt, which is interesting because it was almost like God took them down from being this superpower so that they could see that they were also humans in need of a savior. Yeah, I think, well, I think that's what this, all this stuff we're reading about is, is all of these, I don't know, I'll use the word entities, all of these nations, these kings that had thought so highly of themselves in the area are just, they're getting a smackdown. They're getting brought down. All of their greatness is just being pulled away from them. It's all by one country. It's all being done by Babylon. And they're all seeing that, well, we really weren't all that. We never were. And so for a kingdom like Egypt, where their king was like literally their God to be to be destroyed like this, it's really a, it's really a, a lesson to remember that that these, any nation, any nation in the world can, can be can be brought down. And you sh- we shouldn't place too much too much emphasis on their influence in the world. Right. You know, and I think too, if we look at that, that that's when God does it, when they're at their highest peak. This kind of makes me think about Hezekiah because talk about a humble man. You know, here was a man who was willing to say, Lord, my eyes are on you. I have no idea what to do. Um, and how rare is that among the Kings of the earth? Mm-hmm. You know, that's funny. You mentioned Hezekiah because we were talking about him last week and you know, at this point where that was another, that was a high point for him when, when, you know, the prophet came to him and said, listen, you're going to die. Get your house in order. You're going to die. And Hezekiah was like, but you know, what have I done? Let me plead my case. And, and it was reversed. And that was a high time for him only to have Babylon ambassadors come to him. And did he share the gospel or did he share, look at all the wealth I've accumulated. Mm-hmm. Let me take you to the innermost right. workings of Israel. Let me show you my golden shields and swords and spears only for mm-hmm. Nebuchadnezzar to take inventory and say, okay, guys, that's where we're going next. Right. Yeah. You know, and I, and to I be fair, I've often thought that the reason Nebuchadnezzar was like, we're going to go there next is because any nation who's making weapons and shields out of gold clearly has no idea which metal to forge weapons from. And <laughs> great, great thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you look at Egypt the same way. You look at all those great civilizations at their peak. What happened? It was some, some natural calamity that took them down. Mm-hmm. It's, it's God saying, you know what? You don't control this. You don't control the Nile. And and when you look at it, you go back historically and you look at the, the Nile Delta, when that collapsed, so did that civilization. No longer were they able to, to have the commerce they did, to have the money they did, to have the manpower they did, <clears throat> to build those structures. It was gone and they collapsed from there. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Ezekiel, you know, he kind of bounces around in the timeline here because we started out here talking about, I mean, what was it? It was, uh, oh, I gave kind of a date. I don't remember exactly now. Ten years into there. But yeah, it's like ten years into the captivity and then it bounces. Twelve days. Yeah, he bounces forward to the 27th year of captivity, which is well after the actual fall of Jerusalem. And we're told that, so that sounds like at that point, Egypt hadn't really fallen yet. But God is talking about how he's going to give Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar as payment for his work in Tyre. So this talk about that we've been talking about with with Tyre's fall, God is now now going to give Egypt like the way it's written here is like God is paying Babylon by giving them Egypt and because with all the work they did in Tyre, they really didn't. It's like they didn't get. I don't know, a reward out of it or something. I just thought, thought that was interesting how, how um, one, how Egypt was able to hold out, it seems, longer than any others, but maybe it's because Nebuchadnezzar didn't really go in there yet to Nebuchadnezzar as well. I, I don't know. I guess if our listeners are really, you know, if you really want to get in there and read, there's several, several chapters about, about, how Egypt is going to fall like all these other nations, how they're going to be brought down from their greatness. I think this is probably because of their position of thinking that their king was a god and having such uh, such a prideful demeanor about themselves. But I think, yeah, I don't know if, if you if you really want to get in there and read it. It is it is some interesting stuff, but it really is a lot of of the same where God is going to just is going to pull Egypt down and and he does it now yeah I was a little surprised I think I mentioned earlier about that 40 years that Egypt was going to be kind of empty and I wasn't aware of that to see a land like Egypt be brought to a point where it's essentially nothing uh is kind of fascinating I was just kind of looking ahead and thinking some of the verses that you know a lot of this is about the fall of Egypt and and whatnot but then if you jump over to 33 there's some interesting things about if you're given the word of the Lord, you know, if you're if the man who is in charge of warning everyone doesn't warn them, I will require everyone's blood at his hands, etc. And there, you know, there's just a lot of things in here about the way God judges and his mind, his idea of justice. You know, if, if you're the one who was supposed to send the warning and you didn't, uh, then, you know, their blood would be required at your hands, et cetera. So I just think that's interesting. And and then we also have, you know, the fact that God doesn't love the death of the wicked. Right. You know, those verses in there are very helpful in our understanding of who God is and how kind he is and how he tries and tries and tries to save us. So right. I just think those are powerful verses. Yeah, they are. There are. Ezekiel's given a very specific message here from God. Where God is saying, I'm giving you a message, and if you don't relay this message, then when these people fall, it's going to be on you. But if you tell them and they don't listen, you're off the hook. Exactly. It's a warning for our leaders, I think, to be open and honest about the positions that we find ourselves in. If you have been given a message from God to give to other people, you better give it. Because you've been put in a position to help save people. And that's, you know, that's the message there is that that, that um, 
that you you have a responsibility to to relay this message and help other people to not be destroyed in their sin. And that's what that's where, uh, yeah, chapter three, that first part of chapter three uh, really comes through. You know, it continues with the idea that we are not stuck in our past. When we get into verse 12 in, in Ezekiel 33, it says the righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the days or in the day of his transgression. And as for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it in the day that he turns from his wickedness. So in God's eyes, what we have done is not as important as what we are doing right now. We don't have to worry so much about yesterday. There's, you know, I, I suppose it's fair to say we're still going to have consequences from the things that we have done. But if we have found ourselves in a position, in a low position, um, we don't have to keep stuck in that. Because in God's mind, if we will simply turn from what we're doing, what was is not what's going to be important in his, in his eyes. So I think that's so. Oh, sorry. No, no, please go ahead. I, I love that. And, and and especially when you look at verses in 33, verses 15 and 16, if the wicked restore the pledge, you know, or, or give back what he promised um, against him that he robbed, if he walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall live and not die. And none of his sins that he has committed shall be mentioned to him. I mean, mm -hmm. that's like, that's courtesy. I just think that's God is courteous. Like he's mm -hmm. like, hey, let's not think about that anymore. Yeah. You know, the, the terrible things that you did previously. Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to bring that up with you. I think that's very. That's uh, a lot of grace. Yeah, a lot of grace. Yeah. Mm hmm. And he, you know, he addresses this. He says the the children of your people say the Lord, the way of the Lord is not fair. He says, but I will assure I will judge every one of you according to his own ways. And that's that's to how you are right now. But at the same time where we can't we shouldn't we shouldn't let the sins of our past affect us today. We also can't rely on the goodness of our past to keep us forward. We have to be in a constant state of readiness, being in the moment and and. How are we acting right now? What are we doing right now? And and that is how God judges us. And of course, that's not saying that we can wait until the very end on our deathbed and make that deathbed con confession. Because, I mean, there is, I think there's still going to be at some point a balance of how we've lived our lives. But it, it is, those last minute things, those last minute conversions, that they're they're insincere, you know. Um, I don't know that that's true, and I don't think that we're in any position to make that judgment. Maybe not always, but maybe not always. But if you're waiting until then before you decide you're going to turn, you know, I don't, I don't think that's. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you're right. I, I'm not in the position to make that judgment. But if you're waiting to turn until your deathbed, um, I think at that point. That's maybe going to be a little a little too late. Not that they're I mean, I'm sure we're going to see people in heaven that at the very last minute realized, oh, my gosh, I've been wrong the whole time, which is a little different than than eh, I don't have to do anything until then. 
I, I used to have a coworker who used to say, okay, so like, I want to know about the prophecies and stuff, but like, when is the last possible moment when I could like turn, like she would literally say that. Mm-hmm. So to your question of, you know, some of the, some of the time someone's not actually being sincere. I saw that firsthand. Like she, she wanted to move to Vegas. She wanted to be a showgirl, and then she wanted to be saved in the end. And it was like, that's weird. Mm-hmm. And, and I think too, I think it's that whole thing of of the whole self-preservation kind of thing and trying to once again look at, at self. What can I do for me? This is gonna be the best for me. Yep. And I think that's where mm-hmm. it's lost that your eyes should be focused on God and doing that part of mm-hmm. it, you know, allowing the mercy, the grace, but also trying to live the best life that you can for mm-hmm. him, not for yourself. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. That's good. Yeah, and when, you know, when I say this, I I don't mean it to sound like there is a scale of good and bad, and if at the end our scales are more to the good, no, that's not the that's not the way it works. It's not what I'm trying to what's not what I'm talking about. I'm thinking more in the terms of the the parable of the of the virgins. Half of mm-hmm. them had their oil, the other half didn't. They were all waiting for Christ to come. They're and all they waiting all for the fell groom. asleep while waiting. They all fell asleep while waiting, yet some of them were ready and some of them weren't. And it's because they weren't in a state of trying to be ready. And so so it's our daily, it's our daily. What am I going to do today? How am I going to how am I going to act today? How am I going to try to serve God today? I may have failed yesterday. I have to move on. I may have done great yesterday. I need to keep it up. And I think that's what we're talking about. And this is, it's a fairness in God's judgment that doesn't necessarily jive with our concept of, uh, of, of a fairness because we have a tendency to remember the sins of the past and we dwell on them, whether it's our sins or if we're dwelling on somebody else's sins. And, and that's not the way God is. God is, I think, how did you put it, Amy? It's, um, well, it's Karen kind, said it just so gracious. I yeah. said courteous. Courteous. That's the word. That's the word. It's a it's a it's a courtesy. It's a courtesy that we don't really we don't really have. And we if it was left up to us, we would constantly look at somebody and go, You were a terrible person. But God will say, He's a good person now, or she's a good person mm, now. Yeah, yeah. And that's what he's interested in. And so that's or, I mean, that's what I try to think of. That's what I that's nice. I'm not great at it, but that's what I hope to be able to do is look at how a person is now and not dwell on the sins of their past. You you know, and I think we have to be we have to find resolved in the fact that that God is is going to say. In those cases, my grace is sufficient. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think we as as humans can't do that. We want to impose that that judgment and try to look at our our picture of them where we can't see their heart yeah mm-hmm. you know, yeah i think I agree. it has to do with and sometimes i think of it just as we we go on with our podcast and 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 gain i think some some bible maturity is that we see that it's not none of our works are going to get us there it's that right. grace and that mercy yeah and it's submitting to that each and every day and saying you know what God, let your will be done. And if I keep my eyes focused on you, then nothing else matters. Okay, well, Car- moving on here a bit. Well 
Thank you. <laughs> Cutting room floor. <laughs> yeah. So carrying on then, we are told through Ezekiel's eyes of the fall of Jerusalem in the 12th year of captivity. We are told that those people who are still trying to cling in that area, remember they were told, go to Babylon, just go to Babylon, you're going to be fine. Anybody who's sticking around in the area, they're going to meet an end. If they're out living in the fields, they're going to be devoured by wild animals. If they're trying to hide in caves, they're going to die of pestilence. If they are in the ruins still, they're going to die by the sword. So they were supposed to, they were supposed to leave. If they didn't, then it's, it's not, it's not in their favor. And don't run away to Egypt either to try to avoid the nation's punishment. Yeah. Well, we just saw what's going to, what happened to Egypt. So they fell too. And so, um, yeah. So Tracy said it a lot of times, like, take it, let's get it over with. Take the 70 years. We've seen here where God is trying to remove them so that he can deal with the surrounding area. It's going to be dealt with. So, so get out. But the, it, the, it, the chapter ends and our, and our discussion will end today with this final bit given to Ezekiel, talking about how Ezekiel is being given messages for people to hear. And the people are coming to him and they're eager to hear him speak, but they don't do what he says. It says he's like a lovely song, but it says when he, when what he says comes to pass and surely it will come, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. This is a warning, not just to the people of the time. This is a warning of not, I think it's not just a message for Ezekiel's time. It's for us as we hear the words of God. It's not just for us to be entertained by it. It's not for our amusement. It's for our instruction. And if and if we're just showing up to church every weekend and we just want to hear a lovely sermon and then we go back in the week and we don't apply it in our lives and we don't try to 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 utilize what God has given us through a message. It's no good. It does nothing for us. You know, God has put people in our lives with messages for us to hear. And. It's intended to convey a lifestyle for us. It's not just to be something for us to go, oh yeah, that sounds great. I agree with that. It's for our benefit in our life. It's for our benefit in how we should live. And so so as Ezekiel is being given these messages to the people to hear, uh, and they're they're listening, but they're not really they're not really listening. We need to make we need to be sure that we're not doing the same thing. That we're not going and just hearing a message and thinking, oh, that's a lovely thought, and then sort of ignoring it. So that's something to keep in mind that as we as we as we receive messages, if we're actually seeking a message, listen to it, hear it, apply it. Don't just don't just uh, blow it off. So I think in the Amen. in maybe in a future episode, I'll talk a little bit about what they call the stages of change. And this is, um, you know, like the study of the brain and people's sort of motivational rhythms. And when when does a person hear and it flows off of them? When does a person hear and take it in and digest it in small bits? When does a person learn and start to consider real change? 
when does a person actually take steps toward change? Those are all very different things. And when you're thinking of this battleground being over us, like what Amy was saying earlier, and where free will is the way that this battle is fought, our readiness for change becomes very, very, very important. Mm -hmm. That's really that final message is given. Be ready to change. And um, well, I mean, that's been the message of that whole of the whole time and the whole yeah that's and that's why i'm saying i'll get into it in, in a yeah. future episode there's no need to dive into it now yeah. it's just it's kind of interesting and it's i think it's valuable to think about when you're if you're a minister in any way and you're dealing with other people if you are looking at yourself and noticing your own areas of stubbornness or your own areas of impatience with others you know that's that can actually be a pretty good way to understand what's happening there mm-hmm. yes Okay, and with that, I think I am going to say that that is our time for today. Like I said, we, 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 we I think we, <laughs> we made a record today. Oh, and a half after. <laughs> <laughs> Can you uh, edit it down, man? Oh, there will be some editing. There's always a little. He just takes out everything I say, and then it's way shorter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next week, we will be studying each uh, Ezekiel chapters 34 through 39 while you are reading that waiting for us remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org be sure to look us up on Facebook and be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family and subscribe to the podcast so that we can reach you in your feed each and every week we look forward to talking to you again next week thanks for listening <laughs>